Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Micah was speaking these words nearly 700 years before Jesus came. He spoke this prophetic word of the coming king. The title of my message is The King Has Come. The King Has Come. For in Micah chapter 5, we find the promise of a coming king and the ruler of Israel whose name is Jesus. Now, what you have to understand is that this promise is the king of all promises. This promise, you know, every other promise in the Bible is contained within this promise. If this promise doesn't happen, nothing else happens. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 1.24, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is Jesus. All the promises of the Bible find their yes in Jesus. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Listen, without Jesus, we have nothing but a book of empty promises. But through Jesus, we have a book of security and a book of promises that we can take to the bank. They will happen for sure because every promise in him is yes and amen. The promise of the coming king rules and reigns over every promise made. Micah's promise is the chief of all promises. Now, as we consider his, this promise here, we want to put it in context. We want to understand why it is that God was saying it right here during this time. What, what was going on? This helps us to understand the magnitude of, of the promise when it was given. Now, Micah is, is a prophet ministering to the, the, the region of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, kingdoms of Israel. The Israel split into the northern kingdoms and southern kingdoms. And, and Micah was ministering to those in Judah during like the 750-ish range to about 686 B.C. Uh, during kind of the reign of Hezekiah was the last king that he ministered under. It's according to Micah chapter 1. Now, Isaiah the prophet is writing at the very same time. You know, we have some of the greatest prophetic words given to us about Jesus through the uh, prophet Isaiah. So this is a period of time in history where God is really pressing into his people that the Messiah is coming and what to look for. He's telling them 700 years beforehand. You might think like, well, don't pe- people might lose the, 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 the momentum of the promise. You might think like, well, when's this going to happen? Kind of like how people have in the second coming of Christ. It's been 2,000 years. Is this ever going to happen? Listen, we're not on uh, human timetables here. We're on God's timetable, and he will do what he says. But 700 years, Micah is ministering to Judah. Now, you have to understand, hope is waning during this time. The Assyrians have conquered the northern kingdoms of Israel. They are bearing down the door of Judah. They are knocking on the door. And hope is waning. People are freaking out. They're saying, oh, man, what are we going to do here? How are we going to handle this? We're going to be taken captive. Why are they going to be taken captive? Because of their sin. You see, God was, was doing, he's doing a work through the Assyrians who will be conquered by the Babylonians, who will be conquered by the Medes and Persians. But God is taking his people into captivity because of their sin. It was doomsday for them. You know, sin always brings doom, right? It can't produce anything else in our lives. 
It can't produce hope. It can't produce peace. It can't produce satisfaction. It can only produce destruction, devastation, desolation, and finally death. That's what sin can do for us. God was was working in the hearts of the people here in Israel because of their unfaithfulness. And it's during this time, and that's what I love about God, when there is doom in the picture, He always brings hope. He always brings hope. When there is doom in your life, when, you, when the doors seem closed, when there's nothing else, you know, you seem there's no way to go, God always gives you some hope. There's always a way of escape with Him. You know that? There's always a trap door with God. You are never stuck. You choose to stay if, you, if you're stuck. You choose to be there. God has made a way for us. And that's what he tells the people of Judah. Listen, there's hope. There is a new king coming. And that king will be like no other king that has ever been born in the history of the world. He is the king of kings, and he is coming to rule my nation, Israel, and he will rule the world. In fact, Micah chapter 4, Isaiah chapter 2, they both speak about this coming king that when he comes, they're going to be able to take their swords and hammer them into plows. They're going to be able to take their, um, their spears and hammer them into, into hooks and, uh, you know, for use in the farm and all because they won't have to worry about war again. Peace will come finally. Nation will no longer rise against nation. The coming king. Now we know, of course, anytime you read prophecy that there are, there are, it's speaking of multiple eras at the same time. There are partial fulfillments. There's all kinds of stuff going on. We know that that particular passage is speaking about the second coming of Christ, the millennial reign of Jesus when he comes and he reigns forever and he brings peace on earth physically. But the first kind of peace that he brings for you and I is spiritual peace. And that's also been fulfilled by Jesus. And as Micah is declaring that to these people, that there is a dual fulfillment of this promise. And that is what we're here to, to celebrate this morning. The first fulfillment that God has come to set us, give us peace from our sin. To release us from the bondage. There's three things I want to share with you from this text this morning that might surprise you about this coming king. Firstly, that he was born in the most unlikely place. This king of kings was born in the most unlikely place here. Look at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now, kids, I need your help for a second. If you're a kid in here and you, and, and you, if you could pick anywhere in the world that Jesus would be born, where would it be that you would pick? Just, just give me some names, some cities. Jerusalem, exactly. What, what other cities would you pick? Anybody else? Any kids? Babylon, okay. What else? Bethlehem. Well, hey, you know the answer. All right. Listen, the reality is, is that if I'm God and I'm choosing a city for my son to be born in, it's not Bethlehem. You know, it, it's Jerusalem, it's L.A., it's New York City, it's not Columbia, Tennessee. That's the equivalent here. Not, not that Columbia is not awesome. It's not fit for a king. Because great things come from big places? No, that's not how God works, is it? 
God takes the small, despised things and he makes them great. And that is why he chose Bethlehem for the birth of his son. Bethlehem, the word Bethlehem, literally means house of bread. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is the bread of life who came from the house of bread? Like he is our sustenance. He, he, he came from a place that is to deliver sustenance who is the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Now, Ephrathah, that word means fruitful. Fruitful. We see the fruit of what God has brought through this little town of Bethlehem, this obscure little place that God brought his son through. Now, the reason why it's so small, it's not to be numbered among the towns of Judah, is because there weren't enough people. When they were dividing lands back in Joshua, remember at the beginning of this year, we went through Joshua. When they were dividing the lands, if you weren't a clan of more than 1,000 people, you would be lumped in with other people, and they would number you up to 1,000, and then they would put you, you would get your, you know, your land for your clan. Bethlehem was a mixture of people there. They, they, the clan was not big enough to be numbered uh, on its own. And so the, the reality is, is God chose the smallest, most obscure place to bring forth his son. Now, understand that this town, Bethlehem, was also the, the, the place where David was born. Now, who's David? Well, David's the king that was given the promise that his throne shall last forever. And what, what's interesting about David is he was nobody. And in fact, when Samuel came to town to pick the king out, it wasn't David that he was looking for. He, he told Jesse, where are your sons? And he brings out his sons, and, 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 and every one of them that passed, he goes, nope, not him, nope, not him, nope, not him. Do you have any other sons? Because none of these are it. I have a nobody son that's out in the field shepherding the sheep. I don't think you mean him, do you? Well, bring him, bring him here. And God says, oh, that's my man. Why? Because he's the most unlikely in the group of people to become the king. That's why. You see, God takes the most unlikely places, the most unlikely people, and he puts them in positions that he might show himself strong through them. And that's exactly what he is doing through Bethlehem, and that's what he's doing through you. You know, I'm reminded as I was studying here of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said in verses 26 through 31, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you who were wise according to the worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God and because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God uses small, insignificant vessels so that no man can boast. Why do you think that he chose the obscure in Bethlehem? Why, why couldn't have God made some room in the inn for Jesus? Because he didn't want the innkeeper to boast about the fact that it was his inn that the Son of God came through. So he, he put him in a manger with some, with some cows and some animals that couldn't boast about it. 
He didn't, he didn't lay him in this masterful you know, crib that was custom designed for him by some carpenter, but he put him in a trough, a feeding trough, like put him in you know, like a pet's um, feeding dish. And he laid him in there, and he said that no man could boast. I wonder what it is that you're embarrassed about in your life that you're saying God can't use me because you fill in the blank. I wonder what it is, your weakness, your, your, your smallness, whatever it might be, that is hindering you from allowing God to use you because He created you and He designed you for a purpose. It's not your life. It's not your life. It's His life. He designed it. He created it for His glory. And who are we to hold on to it and to say, you can't use me, Lord? I'm too small. How many kids have ever heard that? You're too small. You can't get a BB gun for Christmas. You'll shoot your eye out, you know. You guys know that. You're too small. <laughs> little, little Ralphie. You've got to bring that in somehow. I mean, but, but, but how many of you heard you're too small? The Bible tells us don't despise the days of small things. You were too small one day. Uh, once, once upon a time, and maybe you're still feeling that way. Well, God wants you to know, if you're, if you're a kid here this morning, God wants you to know specifically that he can use you, that he can use you powerfully. And in fact, it says here in Psalm 8 too, out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. God wants to steal the enemy through little children, through babes, through infants. He can take the most insignificant vessel, and he can bring all kinds of crazy, miraculous things through that vessel and to bring him honor and glory because nobody's going to think that it was them. Why in the world do you think God chose me to be the pastor of this church so that he could show himself strong through me? Why in the world has he chosen those who serve in, you know, youth, the, 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 that LaDonna, Mike in men's ministry, Leah in women's ministry. Why has he chosen these people to put them in there? Not because they have something uh, great to give, but because their hearts are yielded so that he can show himself strong through them. That's why. What is it that God wants to do through your life? Maybe this Christmas you could ask him that question. Lord, what is it that hindering me from being used by you today. Listen, you don't, need, you don't need three little letters behind your name to make you significant in God's eyes. You don't need some kind of pedigree. You don't need to be born in the right family. You don't need anything. He designed you. He created you. So let him work through you. He loves you. He came in the most, in the most unlikely place to be born and he uses the most unlikely people to bring forth his own glory. So let him do that. Not only that, but we see here that God would also send the least likely candidate to become the king of Israel here. Look at verse 2, the continuing on there. And from you shall come forth from me, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now this is deep. Like, you can drink from this well the entirety of your life and you'll never get to the end of it. 
Like you can keep drinking from the well. You can keep pulling water from this place and think like, what in the world did God do for me? How in the world did he send somebody who always was? Somebody who was from old. We're not talking an old soul, right? We're not talking about somebody who has the nostalgia of some other era that we're like, oh, you're an old soul. Look at, you don't really connect in this culture. You're a little different. It's cool because you remind me of another era. You're an old soul. No, no, that, that's, that's, that's just metaphorical. I'm talking literal. Jesus really was an old soul. Like he, he had no beginning. He isn't a created being. He is the ancient of days. He's the ancient of days. He was before the beginning. In the beginning was God. The Bible says that God created everything in the beginning. Who is God in that equation? Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 tells us it's Jesus. Everything was created by Him and for Him and through Him. Everything was created by Jesus. He is not a created being. Why well, just don't understand that? I don't get how Jesus can be God and human at the same time. <laughs> Neither can I. I don't understand it. But that's what the Word says. And I trust it. And I know it. And God has revealed it over and over and over. Listen to me. You might be here this morning and you're like, you're not rejecting the idea that Jesus is of old, that he is the ancient of days, but you're also at the same time having a hard time embracing it. That's okay. Let me tell you something. God will reveal it to you. Dan, will God not reveal that to you? God will reveal that. He, when you least expect it. Listen, I was the same way. When I became a Christian, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. It's not that I didn't want to. It's that I didn't get it. I sat before the Lord. I said, Lord, show me. No one could explain that to me. How do you explain something like that to somebody? Like there's no words to explain that. I don't even... You know, we can't explain it because we can't fully comprehend it. And so we, we wait on the Lord. And the Lord, just one day as I was reading my Bible, boom, Jesus is God. Whoa. Unbelievable. He's the least likely candidate, in my mind, to come and become the king of the Jews who would become a baby who would then grow up to be a man who would lay down his life for you and I. I would think if I was God that I would send that I would find some other way. But God said, "I will come myself. I will come myself. I'm not going to send a proxy to do the work here." I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to send an angel to do this work. I'm not going to send another messenger to do this work. I am going to come myself, and I will lay down my life for them. You know, we sang, and the Lord just put this in my heart this morning, as we were singing, oh, come, let us adore him. Earlier on this morning, the Lord told me, you know, we come to adore him because he came because he adores us. He came because He adores, more personally, you. He adores you. He loves you. The Bible says it was for the joy that was set before Him, Jesus, that He came, that He died for you. Listen, the magnitude of what God has done in coming Himself 
is nothing short of the greatest love story in the history of the world. It is nothing short of that. Romeo and Juliet have nothing on this, man. God said, I, it's, it's tragic, right? It's the same kind of story, but, but different people. God himself would come. He would lay down his life. I could give you a ton of scriptures about why this is speaking about Jesus. But he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's Emmanuel. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Who created the world? God, Jesus. Jesus, God. The Son of God, God the Son. That's who created everything. He is God. I love this in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. This is the humanity and the divinity of Christ contained in this passage, and it's beautiful. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, did you catch the contrast there? In the very upfront side of that verse, did you see what it said? For unto us a child is born. Listen, here's the contrast. To us, a son is given. Here, here's the idea. A son is born. A, a baby is born. The humanity of Christ. But a son, he's given. God the Son came down and God the Father gave us his son as a gift. He, he, what he is saying is, here's the humanity of Christ and the child, but the Son is divine. He is forever. He is from old. He is the ancient of days. And he is to be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the Jesus that we know and love. He is, the, in my mind, the least likely candidate to come to become the King of the Jews. If I were God, I would have sent somebody else. But God said, there is no one else that can do this job. I love them too much to chance it on somebody else. I will come myself. I hope you feel loved today. I hope you feel loved because you are so loved. You are loved beyond even what you comprehend. If you feel loved, like you're, you're loved way more than you even feel. Like he loves you so much that he would come. How special do you feel when someone shows up in your time of need and you say, thank you for coming. I feel so loved. In your darkest moment, he showed up for you. He loves you. And he came for you. Not only is he the least likely candidate to come, but lastly, he came to give the least likely gift Look at verse 3. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Imagine with me for a moment that you're at war. You're at war. You're, you're in a war. You're on one side. The enemy is on the other. You're in a war. 
and you think, you're winning. You know you're going to win. You have the enemy running. There's nothing they can do. You outsmarted them. You outmanned them. You outgunned them. There is no possible way for them to win the war. And you say this, maybe we should give them a peace treaty. Now, does that make any sense? Why would you give a peace treaty when you're winning? Why would you, why would you do that? Because of love. That's why. Because you love. That's what God did for us. You realize that? You were at war with God. Maybe you're at war with God today. And you're saying, man, and the Lord is saying to you this morning that I have given you a peace treaty in the name of my son, Jesus, you can't win this war. There is not enough weaponry. There is not enough strategy. There is not enough human ability to win this war. You can't win it. The only possible way for you to win the war is to accept the peace treaty in surrender. It's the only way that you can, you can be part of the winning team. But God said, Listen, he's, he's telling you. He's extending his hand over and over again. Here's the peace treaty. Here's the peace treaty. No, I don't want it. I don't want it. I think I can win. I think I can win. And you keep trying to do it yourself, and he keeps saying, no, you can't. You can't. You can't. You can't do it. No, I can't. I can't. You, you have little kids, right? You know. No, no, I could do this. No, you can't. No, yeah, I can. I, you just said that I can do everything because I'm little. No, no, that's not what I meant. But what I'm saying is that, hey, listen, there comes a point when you have to recognize that there are some things you can do zero about. Nothing. Surrender is the answer. And God is saying, if you will surrender to me, I will bring you peace. Peace. Peace on earth. Peace with God. Peace with each other. And peace within. He wants to bring you peace. Are you living in chaos today? Are you, maybe it's because you're warring with God. You're at war. You can't have peace with him because you're not willing to bow your knee. You can't have peace with others because you're at war with him. You can't have peace within because you're at war with him and with others. And so you find yourself in this place where there is no hope. For peace outside of Jesus. And God continually brings you around to that same place and you keep blind eyeing it. No, not that. Not that again. Not that again. Not Jesus. I I'm going to do it my... Listen. That is the epitome of insanity. To recognize that you can do nothing about your situation, to continue to do the same thing over and over again. Is that somebody said that? I don't know. That's the definition of insanity, to keep doing the same thing over and over again. God continues to reveal himself. And you, if you're not willing, continue to reject that. And he's saying, I just want to bring you peace. So what does God do then when people reject him? According to this verse, he gives them up. He gave them up. He gave them up. Not in the sense of, I, I don't want anything to do with you, in the sense of you are so rebellious and so, uh, you know, 
rejecting me so to the, to the degree that you won't bow your knee to me that I am going to give you up to yourself and allow you to do whatever you want to do and allow, you, allow sin to have its way in your life. But I promise you, it will lead to death. For the wages of sin is death. He gave them up. Listen, he won't make you accept the peace treaty, folks. He won't make you do it. In fact, the New Testament scripture to this scripture here where he gave them up was Romans chapter 1. And he said this in verses 24 and 25, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. When God gives you up, it's because you're trading the truth for a lie. You're willingly saying, I don't care. I don't care what the truth is. I want to do life this way and I don't care what the truth is and so God will give you up. And it breaks his heart when he gives you up. He is pursuing you and he is loving you and he doesn't stop that, don't get me wrong, but he gives you up to your own lustful passions, whatever those are. And he says, this is going to devour you and I hate that. But I won't overstep your will. Are you going to bow to me or not? Have your way then. And I believe it breaks God's heart. I believe Jesus wept as a result of those types of things. That tears fell from the Son of God's eyes because man is so rebellious, so hard-hearted against him that he would give them up. He wants us to receive a peace treaty. He wants us to be at peace with him, peace with others and peace within. He wants us to have peace. And when you make him, when you receive that peace treaty and you make him the prince of peace in your life, then he becomes your shepherd. And you can dwell securely in his presence. And as a great shepherd, he will lead you by still waters and into green pastures. And even though the world outside, you know, on the outside may be falling apart, as long as you have Jesus, you have peace. As long as you have Jesus, you have peace. He said here that this king is going to come and shepherd his flock in strength, the strength of the Lord. He is going to be the shepherd. And he wants to be your shepherd. He wants you to be a sheep and not a goat. He wants you to See, see, the idea here is that you have to surrender to him because here the, the promises of a king coming and, and, and so in order to receive the peace treaty that he's given us, we have to make him Lord. He's not just a savior. He's not just a great shepherd. He's not just the bread of life. He's not just the lamb of God. He's not just... Uh, you know, he's not just the light of the world. He's not just all of those things, and all of those things are incredible. The most important thing is that he is Lord because you can't go to heaven without acknowledging him as Lord. Not just simply acknowledging him as declaring him Lord 
of your life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God, I don't know what that says. I'm just quoting it from one version that I know. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess him, Lord. Some of you are here this morning and you see Jesus as a Savior. And that's a wonderful thing to see Jesus as. And you see Jesus as your rescue and as your light. And you see him as, you know, your friend because he says he's your friend. And you see him as all these things. But you do not, by the way that you are living your life, you do not see him as Lord. And he would say to you this morning, I love you so much that I need you to know that I'm not Lord. Because that is, that is the reality of, bec- uh, of either being completely, totally damned for all of eternity away from me or being with me for all of eternity. The difference is those who declare him as Lord. Listen, there are 46% of people who confess with their mouth that he was born as a Savior. But how many of the 46% out of the 90% of Americans that celebrate Christmas confess him as Lord? 54% of people don't confess him as anything. Where do you lie in the statistics this morning is the question. Are you among the 90% that are celebrating something, but amongst the 90, you're part of the 54 that are just here to, to, to celebrate the holiday? Are you part of the 46% that are believing that Jesus Christ was born for you? Not only that, but take it a step further and have made him Lord of your life. Do you notice what he says at the end in verse 5 there? The very be- verse 5, he says, He shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. Not it. Not some work. Not, you know, not anything other than Jesus. He is our peace. And the only way that you can receive that peace is to make him Lord. It is so simple, folks. It is so simple, and yet our hearts are so wicked. They are so blinded. They are so hardened that we would deceive ourselves and we would say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe that, you know, he died and all this kind of stuff, and yet we would not say that he is Lord of my life. Is that, if that's you this morning, listen, today is the day to crown him king. A king came. A king came for you. A king. He wants to be king of your life but you have to crown him king of your life. You have to confess him as king. You have to bow your knee and listen to me. You will do it one day. You will bow your knee to him one day. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus is, I don't remember the rest of the verse, to the glory of God the Father. Something like that. But you have to confess it. You have to make Him Lord of your life. And now the time has come this morning 
for you to take a moment and to look inside your own heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally this morning. You say, Lord, I believe Jesus came. I believe he died. I believe he rose again from the dead. But does my life say that he's Lord? Because if he's Lord, I do what he wants, not what I want. It doesn't mean you don't stumble. But when you stumble, you recognize, oh, he's Lord. I better go to my Lord and confess my sin and repent and turn away because he's my Lord. And so the gist of everything, the wonder of Christmas is this, that God himself came down to be your king. He didn't send somebody else. He came himself. And this morning he wants you to know that he personally entered humanity for you. The question is, will you bow your knee to him today? Will you accept him as Lord of your life? He wants to give you peace. And I know that's what we all long for in our hearts is peace. So don't harden your heart today. Don't run from reality. You know, I told a story a couple weeks ago about a youth pastor that I know that He's a youth pastor. He's at a youth conference, and he recognizes that Jesus isn't his Lord. So he comes, and he accepts Jesus as Lord in front of all of his youth group. They're thinking, that's my youth pastor. What is he doing down there? He's being smart. He's responding to the Holy Spirit. He's not being prideful and saying, what will everybody else think? Who cares? Because at the end of the day, you won't stand before anybody in this room. You will stand before him. Make him your Lord. Acknowledge him as your Lord. And recapture the wonder of what he has done and the fact that he is the king that has come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we're just so overwhelmed, God, at what you've done for us. Lord, what could we say in this moment? How could we respond to you, Lord, that would suggest even for a moment that we love you, God, and that we honor you for who you are? I think the reality is it's surrender. And I think, Lord, that you're just saying, just simply come to me as a child would come to a father. Just allow me to love on you this morning. Listen, Christmas, this wonder of what God has done in sending his son for us. Lord, I pray that you would just move in our hearts this morning and help us to respond to that, Lord. And as we move from this place, you know, and we go celebrate with our families and all, Lord, that we somehow bring that moment into our, into our day tomorrow and tonight, Lord, that we remember what Jesus has done, that the King has come. Father, we just want to acknowledge this morning that we are in desperate need of you. Every one of us, Lord, and we're so thankful that you would reach down to us. We had no, no way to reach back up to you, Lord but you came down. 
And as we just take a few moments here, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit just move in our hearts and just draw us close to you and that you would speak intimately into the hearts of every person here this morning. Those who need to know you as Lord and Savior. We just want to, Lord, we, we want to give an opportunity for them this morning to crown you not just Savior, but Lord of their life. And so as we continue to pray, and every person in this place is praying because they care about you, because Jesus cares about them, as we continue to pray, the Lord wants to say to you this morning, if you're here and you're not in a relationship with the Lord, or you think you are and he's revealed to you this morning that you need to crown him Lord of your life, the Lord just wants you to acknowledge that and to just, just come by faith this morning in a prayer that would crown him Lord of your life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up in the air? The Lord sees you. He sees your heart. He knows everything about you. And he wants to forgive you. If that's you, would you slip your hand up this morning? Is there anybody in this place? God bless you. Is there anybody else that wants to declare Lord? Once you slip your hand up, you can put it down. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? The Lord is here this morning. He, he's a redeemer. And he wants to redeem you and buy you back. Is there anyone else this morning that is just saying, man, I want what Jesus came to give. He's not just a little baby. He is a king that grew to be a man who died for you. One more opportunity. Is there anyone else that wants to receive Jesus as Lord of their life? God bless you. God bless you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, listen, as a church body, what I want to do this morning is I would like all of us to stand and I want you to repeat these words with me as a body. And if you have raised your hand, God knows who you are and he hears your voice and he hears the cry of your heart. So this morning, as you speak these words out, you are making a profession of faith this morning. You're saying, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. So would you as a church repeat these words after me? Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts. We believe that you came not just as Savior, but as King. You died for me. You rose again for me. And I'm crowning you Lord of my life. Take me, Lord. Wash me clean and fill me with your spirit and help me to live the rest of my days for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.